Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Spitch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry, and the edgelands, and the wilderness. In today's episode, I'm going to read from a play of mine, another hidden play of mine, called uh, Arbor Falls. This piece is about a preacher and a small town and about hypocrisy and someone traveling through that changes everything. I'm going to read a scene that is uh, one of the sermons that the preacher gives to the assembled youth. In the name of all things, let us pray. For it is known our ways are wrong for this world, but we pretend otherwise. Because what we have seen, what we have been told, what we have been taught, has made us believe we have more power than any that can be had by the ones above. And I say ones, because you know this, this is not a church of one, but of many. And so it is with the gods. There are many. And in knowing the many and understanding their power, we come to understand ours. You may think, to whom am I addressing this? For whom? Are these words meant? I count myself among you gathered here, the one in the back, the one near the window, the one near the wall. Welcome to all on this morning. As one who knows less about who they are and when they woke up today. Each step I take on this earth, I know less by which to say I may know more about who I once was and who I may become. Time is a continuum. We know this, we have seen this, and even in times of violence such as these, we understand the many that call to us in need, because that is a call we all know, even without words. The question is, What do we do with that call? What do we say when someone asks something from us? What are we willing to give? This morning I had some coffee before I came here, before the start of the start of my day. And I was told to be wary of those that may be among us, those that may be in need, because their need was so great, no one could fill it. No one. Not even the gods that shine through the hazy blue light of that window. And I thought, how is this possible? How could someone's need be so great, their material need, that is, that no one, no one at all can dignify them with their aid? 
What could the stranger want from us when they cross through our borders? In days of old, it was said, church was a building where all were blessed. What is it now? A mere fortress. Let's try to remember why it is that we came here today. Why it is that we still come, those of us here, those of us that understand that all we need is a space and some light to have our communion with time. Because that is what this place is. And no trinkets or porcelain figurines offered by other churches somewhere else will deem it otherwise. We are here to have our communion with time itself, which is, as we know, on a continuum. So, if that person there sitting in the back needs something from you, maybe not now, but maybe tomorrow, the call is upon you to give what you can, and if you cannot, because we all know times are hard, both been hard, and likely won't let up be so anytime soon, then a simple kindness will do. Now, I know you can't buy groceries with kindness. You can't buy a house with kindness. You can't buy anything with the kind of kindness I'm talking about. This is the paradox of this earth. This is how we are tested every day, every step. Along these dirt roads, we know ourselves less. Take comfort in this, howsoever you can. I have no answers for how we can all seek kindness when we are beaten down by the very cost of living. What I do know is that I woke up this morning and touched the person I love and expected nothing in return. And that's a scene from Arbor Falls, which is on New Play Exchange, if you're looking for it. And uh, maybe one day we'll be in the world. Uh, and I'm going to close out today's episode with a section from a short story by the writer Barry Hanna. Uh, Barry Hanna was born in Meridian, Mississippi in 1942 and uh, died in 2010 at the age of 67. Really interesting writer, compelling fascinating, darkly funny, weirdly funny, wild writer, Uh, a unique voice. So this is a short story called Water Liars. When I am run down and flocked around by the world, I go down to Fort Cove off the Yazoo River and take my beer to the end of the pier where the old liars are still snapping and wheezing at one another. The lineup is always different. 
because they're always dying out or succumbing to constipation, etc. Whereupon they go back to the cabins and wait for a good day when they can come out and lie again, leaning on the rail with coats full of bran cookies. The son of the man the cove was named for is often out there. He pronounces his name Farté, with a great French stress on the last syllable. Otherwise, you might laugh at his history or ignore it in favor of the name as it's spelled on the sign. Bart. I'm glad it's not my name. This poor, dignified man has had to explain his nobility to the semi-literate of half of America before he could even begin a decent conversation with them. On the other hand, Farte Jr. is a great liar himself. He tells about seeing ghost people around the lake and tells big, loose ones about the size of the fish those ghosts took out of Farte Cove in years past. Last year, I turned 33 years old and raised a Baptist. I had a sense of being Jesus and coming to something decided in my life because we all know Jesus was crucified at 33. It had all seemed especially important, what you do in this year, and holy with meaning. On the morning after my birthday party, during which I and my wife almost drowned in vodka cocktails, we both woke up to the making of a truth session about the lovers we'd had before we met each other. I had a mildly exciting and usual history, and she had the same, which surprised me. For ten years, she'd sworn I was the first. I could not believe her history was exactly equal with mine. It hurt me to think that in the era when there were supposed to be virgins, she had allowed anyone but me, and so on. I was dazed and exhilarated by this information for several weeks. Finally, it drove me crazy, and I came out to Farte Cove to rest under the pretense of a fishing week with my chum, Wyatt. I'm still figuring out why I couldn't handle it. My sense of the past is vivid and slow. I hear every sign and see every shadow. The movement of every limb and every passionate event occupies my mind. I have a purience on the grand scale. It makes no sense that I should be angry about happenings before she and I ever saw each other, yet I feel an impotent homicidal urge in the matter of her lovers. She has excused my episodes as the course of things, though she has a vivid memory too. But there is a blurred nostalgia women have that men don't. You could not believe how handsome and delicate my wife is naked. I was driven wild by the bodies that had trespassed her 12 and 13 years ago. My vacation at Farte Cove wasn't like that easy little bit you get as rich as a New Yorker. My finances weren't in great shape, to be true. They were about in ruin. I left the house knowing my wife would have to answer the phone to hold off, for instance, phone company itself. Everybody wanted money and I didn't have any. I was going to take the next week in the house while she went away, watch our three kids and all the rest. 
When you both teach part-time at the high schools, the income can be slow in the summer. No poor mouth in here. I don't want anybody's pity. I just want to explain. I've got good hopes of a job over at Alabama next year. Then I'll get myself among higher-paid liars. That's all. Sidney Forte was out there prevacating away at the end of the pier when Wyatt and I got there Friday evening. The old faces I recognized, a few new hearkening idlers I didn't. Now, Dr. Mooney, he not only saw the ghost of Lily, he says he had intercourse with her, said it was involuntary. Before he knew what he was doing, he was on her making cadence and all their clothes blown away off in the trees around the shore. She turned into a wax candle right under him. Intercourse, said an old-timer, breathing heavy. He sat up on the rail. It was a word of high danger to his old mind. He said it with a long disgust. Glad, I guess, he was not involved. McIntyre, a Presbyterian preacher. I seen him come out here with his son-in-law, anchor near the bridge, and pull up fifty or more white perch, big or small pumpkins. You know what they was using for bait? What? Asked another geezer. Nothing. Caught on the bare hook. It was God made them fish bite, said Sidney Forte, going at it good. Nah, there'd be a season they bite a bare hook. God didn't have done nothing with that, said another guy with a fringe of red hair and a racy Florida shirt. Another night, said Sidney Forte, I saw the ghost of Yazoo himself with my pa who's dead. Indian king with four deer around him. The old boys seemed to be used to this one. Nobody said anything. They ignored Sydney. Tell you what, said a well-built, well-built small old boy. That was something when we come down here and had to chase that whole high school party off the end of this pier, them drunken children. They was smoking dope and two-thirds of them naked swimming in the water. Good hundred of them from your so-called good school. What do you think happened at the bad ones? I dropped my beer and suddenly grew sick. Wyatt asked me what was wrong. I could see my wife in 1960 in the group of high schoolers she must have had. My jealousy went out into the stars of the night above me. I could not bear the roving carelessness of teenagers, their judgeless tangling of wanting of bodies. But I was the worst back then. In the mad days back then, I dragged the panties off girls I hated and talked badly about them once the sun came up. And that's a section from Water Liars, a short story by Barry Hanna. And that's today's episode. As always, this is about you and I in this theater. You there in the dark, and I here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening today for night.